Hello, welcome back, episode 45. Cheers for joining me, lovely people from all over the world. Hope you are happy, healthy, and living your best life. How are you doing? I'm not doing too badly. Well, I've got a couple of niggles, but they're nothing major. It's mainly weather concerns. Anyway, you may hear children screaming and playing in the background because school has broken up for summer. And uh, unfortunately, my studio is also um, part of my apartment flat. Call it what you will. And uh, in this intense heat we're having at the moment, I actually have to have the window open at the moment to be able to talk to you in some kind of humane environment. So, um, listen to the sounds of a very hot summer outside as we go along. Now, this week I had the chance to catch up with um, a playwright and author that I'd met in audition a few years ago. And, well, you know, I'd always admired his work and his work ethic um, and followed his um, ongoing concerns on Twitter and Facebook. And I think we chatted a couple of times and liked a few bits and pieces. But anyway, I'd seen that he'd uh, continue to be to grow with his career. Um, anyway, so yes, this week you get to listen to my chat with Mr. Dylan Costello um, uh, as we meet in the British Library, the British yes, the British Library, I was going to say British Museum, British Library. Um, and uh, as it was, well, it was nice and quiet and nice and cool in there so anyway it's a great chat and um yeah it was really nice to sit down and and to get to know somebody a little better anyway um which brings me um before we get on to meeting dylan to my any other business and recommendations we're going to start with any other any other business and the any other business today is the weather as i say now you all know and i always talk about how much i adore a sunny day but this this global warming shiz is giving me the sweats and the hives and all the shenanigans. Um, I know it's happening all over the world and uh, uh, it is time to put a foot uh, on the pedal for uh, kind of finding ways to uh, stop it in its tracks if that's possible um, or at least lessen the effects. Um, anyway. Uh, that's world stuff. That's big stuff. Um, but you know, and I know, as I say, this this heat wave is all over the world. But some countries are prepared for it. They're prepared for the heat. But the UK, not really prepared for cold or heat, and uh, and definitely not prepared for heat, um, because of the countries they have homes with cars and good air conditioning, and we don't seem to have that here. Here you have to go to a public space or a store, and I tell you what the the um the supermarket the um Sainsbury's cold selection oh my goodness it's a joy in there um there's only so much uh, cold meat and coleslaw you can buy anyway um I'm just putting it out there um that we need some rain and a drop in temperature soon so I'm just putting it out there into the world anyway I'm done <laughs> anyway um I travelled down to the city of um, Portsmouth yesterday. Portsmouth is in Dorset. It's a um, naval town. Uh, lots of sailors. <laughs> um, I went down there yesterday to do a photo shoot for uh, pantomime. And I know Christmas is a long way away to be talking about pantomime. But anyway, they start doing the marketing. Um, and I will be releasing more details about when and where, where as soon as they have all their marketing stuff ready. Um, and then I will let you know where you can find out more. But anyway, 
Um, I had to go and be in full dame makeup. Um, and I've told you for listeners who've been with me from the beginning, and some of you, if you don't know what Dame is, Dame is basically matriarchal comedy um, battle axe. And this time I'm playing an ugly sister. We're doing Cinderella. And I'm one of the ugly sisters. Um, and so I had to be in full, as a drag queen, queen would say, full geesh all day in the heat. Uh, in these, and I'll tell you what, uh, all day in these kind of Death Valley temperatures under heavy makeup is... is He's quite a test. Um, And she wouldn't stay on. Kept melting off. Kept melting off. Anyway. um, But I have to thank uh, Southwest Trains, which is a UK train company, for having such wonderful, beautiful, cooling air conditioning in their trains. Uh, So it was kind of a two and a half hour journey, I think, something like that. Um, So I got about five hours of air con yesterday, so it was beautiful. Anyway. Um, you'll receive the results about that stuff soon. Anyway, moving on. Um, tomorrow, I am going. Keith and I and my sister are going to see the singer Kalise. Um, and Keith and I, as you probably know already, if your regular listeners have been to see her before and are big fans, we have a cookbook even. Um, but Kalise is playing in the Jazz Cafe in Camden, and we cannot wait. This will probably be released on the day that we go. Um, it's going to be hot in there. That's all I'm going to say. But hey, um, her milkshake will bring all the boys and girls to the yard. And she can pour it all over us to keep us cool. Anyway, that was extremely naff. Moving on. And then, then yes, this weekend, um, happy birthday to my friend uh, Kat Pettingel, who we and a group of us are going down to Bristol, where she now lives, to celebrate her birthday with her and have... Uh, uh, water-based shenanigans when I say water-based shenanigans I think we're going on a boat trip and and there's docks around there so my whole week's been about docklands anyway on to this week's recommendations finally they say so yeah, sorry for the interruption I did have to stop there because I realized I'd left all the doors open it was so hot and my washing machine was deciding to take off um I think I managed to muffle that sound anyway goodness me it's so hot, I can't have doors closed for long, so I'm going to make this brief. So my recommendations are... Now, first of all, is a musical one. Um, and it's by... Um, well, they're called Far Out Monster Disco Orchestra. That's right, folks. Far Out Monster Disco Orchestra. Um, they are a couple of producers and remixers um, called David Brinkworth and Daniel Mornick, or Manick. Uh, anyway, yes, um, and uh, basically they have put together this collective of musicians from Rio, uh, some of the best musicians from Rio, and uh, they've made an album that kind of mixes up disco and house um, and soul. Um, let me just see what they say about themselves. Oh yes, uh, uh, they wanted to mix cultures, generations, languages and musical ideas, yet... Uh, uh, be a homage to the music they all love, uh, Brazilian music, soul, and disco. Um, ba- basically, I'd say if you like Chic and Nile Rogers and '90s house and funky soul stuff, then this is definitely for you, and it's a ten out of ten for you if that's uh, ticking your boxes, so to speak. Go and explore that um, very much a summer album. Oh, the door of my room has just opened. My a ghost has just entered the room. Um, that's very strange. 
bit of a haunting going on live. This is the beauty. Now, this brings me, actually, this brings me to my second podcast um, about kind of real things happening and, and keeping it real, as they say. Um, I just had to check then. There wasn't somebody behind me. Very spooky. Anyway, um, is yes, the podcast is uh, called Table Manners with Jessie Ware. And it's um, a lot of it's recorded at Jessie Ware, who's a uh, English soul singer um, in her home or at her mum's home. Her mum is she does it with her mum. And basically what they do is they have a guest over. They cook and chat to the guest while they're cooking and preparing the meal. And they have a bit of a drink. And then they sit down to dinner and then they discuss food and, and then they discuss anything you normally would over dinner. Um, but you get the sounds of, of the fridge opening and bottles being opened and it's just really... I, I, I love it. Um, I think I'm probably a little bit late to the party. I, I've just read a review on The Guardian saying it's one of the most recommended podcasts around. But anyway, so it's called Table Manners with Jessie Ware and it's just really pleasant and fun and you get recipe ideas and uh, you get some great interviews um they've had people like um the comedian the british comedian alan carr who's very funny um that's one i definitely would recommend and he talks about his wedding which adele the singer adele uh, got together for him so that's a, a good listen um the singer paloma faith she's fun um and then in london mayor's the london mayor sadiq khan is on one um there is a there's a, a sandy toxvig it's a wide variation of people um and uh, i i've grown to love it and it's helped me on my travels around the place so jump in and listen to that uh, and there is another one another quick one um, let's make it quick because it's hot. Um, is one called Race Chaser, which is a podcast by the drag queens Willem and Alaska. And uh, they are basically going through every episode of RuPaul's Drag Race from episode one, season one, and dissecting it and giving their opinions. And and and, and it's just a bit of fun. You have to definitely be a Drag Race fan for that one. Um, and I know I have a few listeners who definitely are, so that's one to go to if you haven't already. But anyway, definitely Table Manners with Jessie Ware. Now, enough, and it's time to move on and meet the wonderful Mr. Dylan Costello. Take it away. So, <laughs> here we are in the sweltering heat. Melting like an ice cream. It's <laughs> the end of, nearly the end of July, and... We love London, but at the moment it's too much. I'm here with the wonderful, marvellous Dylan Costello. Thank you for having me. Very welcome. Um, Dylan's got a lot of stuff to tell us about. Plays, uh, novels, um, a biography, would you call it a biography? My memoir, I call it a memoir. memoir. A memoir. memoir. My gay memoir. Your gay <laughs> memoirs from days in East London. Uh, Essex, Essex, actually. Like growing yeah. up, going in Essex in the 70s, 80s and beyond. Dagenham. Up to present day, yes. And the book is called, just so we, people can start Googling as they're listening. Gade in Dagenham. So it's basically a... Um, a piss, you can absolutely <laughs> swear. A piss take of made in Dagenham. <laughs> uh, so yeah, G-A-Y apostrophe D in Dagenham. And we'll, we'll, we'll go back over this at the end and all social medias and everything else as well. But... So, where are you based now? In London? You're still in London? Yes, based in West London now. Living yeah. with my partner there. At we, the other end of the... T- of yeah, the yeah, yeah. I've gone as far away from Essex as I possibly could within the, uh, within the N25. So. Yes. Uh, yeah, living in West London with my partner. Yes. I bought a house a couple, two and a half years ago. Yeah, have a nice little life there. It's really cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Very happy. Um, so, going back to Dagenham, you've said where... So, 
You were born in Dagenham? I was born in Romford. Born in Romford. Born in Romford. <laughs> Rush Green Hospital. Uh-huh. 1974, giving away my age. <laughs> A, a it's all relative. It's all relative. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but yeah, basically, uh, spent my my whole life up until like eighteen years old, uh, living raised in Dagenham, living in Dagenham. First in a council flat, then in a council house, which my dad bought for thirty thousand pounds in nineteen eighty, which seems ludicrous now. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I spent my formative years raised in that. Uh, urban part of Essex should we say because even though it's Essex it's also part of London it's a London borough yeah, so sometimes I say it's London sometimes I say Essex it's a bit of both really but yeah. it's at the end of the district line I spent the a Christmas in uh, in the shopping centre in um, in Lakeside lucky you I'm going to say no more than that <laughs> it's not that far away that's where we used to do our family Christmas shopping every year Lakeside ooh what an experience it still is to this day <laughs> But not we won't talk about that. Not been there for many years. No need to. No need to. Um, so, so your experience growing up in Essex in the eighties, <laughs> um, just w- did you find it difficult to? I mean, were you I, were you picked on at all? Did, were you were you op- were you openly were you showing signs as a young man absolutely zero I okay was, yeah i was nobody had a single inkling i was gay um, okay i wasn't sashaying around the playground or anything like that i didn't even know myself that i was gay i had those little strange feelings in my subconscious in the back of my mind strange attractions toward other boys and but you know i was going to a very kind of rough senior school and it just wasn't the thing you couldn't possibly even entertain the idea of being gay um and yeah so i i was just deeply deeply in denial even when i was in love with my best friend when i was 15 years old i still convinced myself these are just feelings that any teenage boy has i'm going to shake them off eventually i'm going to get rid of them it's uh-huh, all just uh-huh, nonsense, uh-huh. Blah, blah. but of course they just magnified and increased to the point where it's like actually you know i need to accept the fact i'm gay but did you act on that feeling at that point? I mean, how old were you? How old you? Where were you we saying early teens at this point? Or? Yeah, early teens. No, I, I was. I, I considered myself at the time a late bloomer. Um, so I didn't actually do anything gay related till I was twenty-two years old, which is. Yeah, but I think that's more common from from people who are on, who are over thirty-five. I but I think it was it, it was the Essex environment that I think prevented me from mm-hmm. kind of wanting to act on anything. It was a very, very working class, blue collar environment to grow up in. It was just, you know, boys were boys, girls were girls, and there was no room for deviating from that. Mm-hmm. And obviously there were gay rumblings here and there within my own family. I had a gay uncle who had an alcoholic partner and they were just the, the bane of so many jokes within the family and I think that also kind of uh, sent okay. me backwards even further into the closet Makes scene. You know, there were jokes about you know the piece of furniture you put your foot up on what was called a puff. There was lots of jokes within the family about oh don't put your mm-hmm, don't put your feet mm-hmm, up on your mm-hmm. uncles or you know it's mm-hmm. just and I, you know there was me just you know absorbing all of these little family jokes and they were all contrib- contributing towards my, to build yeah, up yeah. making me even more in denial and sure. actually quite terrified of admitting who I actually really was yeah. yeah so it wasn't until 22 that you went up this. so presumably that was kind of when you came into central London and no basically what I did is I, I left home at 18 years old as soon as I left I left school at 16 mm. um, 
I just was obsessed with going to Australia. I grew up watching Neighbours and Home and Away, having <laughs> fantasies about Brad Willis from Neighbours and all the Brad hunks Willis. in Home oh, and Away yes, and yes, their yes, speedos. Yes, yes. And I don't know, there was something just like, I need to go to Australia. Yeah. It's just full of beautiful men that yeah. hardly wear anything. It's like a ridiculous thing for a you know, 15, 16 year old boy to be thinking when he's deeply in denial. Um, so yeah, I left school at 16. I went and worked in a local supermarket for two years. I saved up as much money as I could. And at 18 years old, a couple of months before I turned 19, I went off traveling around the world, backpacking around the world. I left home. Are you backpacked? Yeah, I ah. went to Australia for a year. Then I traveled uh, all around other parts of the world. Uh, even did the Trans-Siberian Express across Russia. And oh, I went me? down oh, through China. I'd love to do that. And that three and a half years of traveling was just life-changing for me it was like being out of the bosom of Essex and all that kind of environment made me kind of bloom and blossom and kind of realize who I really was sexuality wise and to finally act on it as well and lost my gay virginity shall I say in Sydney in, in Sydney when I was yeah 20, yeah. 20, actually 21 years old not 22 I'm aging myself <laughs> and then yeah then I came back um in 97 and moved up to London I couldn't go back to Essex I just after three and a half years traveling around oh, yeah. the world and being a kind of free gay man even though I'd not told a single soul that I was gay I still kept it to myself but I was acting on it and came back and moved up to London and then that's where the next phase of my the next journey stage, which will come okay. which will come yes, to, we'll come to um, so firstly did you make it to Ramsey Street yes I did yes <laughs> I've done that too. Pinot that was, Court <laughs> It was I remember being so excited at getting there, the, the bus or the way yeah. to get a tram and then a bus and then walking uh-huh. to Pinot Court. Yeah, I was like, yeah, crazy Neighbours fan back in the day. Not anymore, I haven't watched it for years, but... When I went there, they, you know, they take you onto the set and they, you have your picture taken with a cast member. I haven't watched it for years and I was with this really lovely lady who was, thank you for being here and I didn't know who she was. But anyway, I've got a picture of her on my Facebook of me and random cast member. She's not random, I'm well, sure. When I, uh, when I did it, it wasn't even an organised thing. We literally just found in the oh. Melbourne Street directory the name of the street, oh, it was just... and we went and found it. Um, no smartphones or anything back then. We just had a ripped-out copy of the oh street directory with it pin-marked, and uh, then we found it, and we are just nosing in people's windows and going up the driveways and stuff. There was no organised <laughs> thing back then, and I think like a couple of years later it became an organised tour. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was great. Oh, that's brilliant. As was going to uh, Palm Beach in Sydney as well, where Home and Away was filmed. And, of course, yeah, of course. Like, yeah. And if you are not from any of these places in the world where you may not have this show, i.e. a lot of my listeners from the US, <laughs> Kylie is all I'll say. That's it's where Kylie Minogue that's began. That's Kylie began. Yes. And a lot of the listeners in others. the US will know who <laughs> Kylie is. So <laughs> that's, where we, that's where you should start. And I'm sure you know. Anyway, blah. So, <laughs> Sydney... And then back to London, and you came back to London, and where did you, where did you base yourself? I basically rented a bed set in Kensal Rise in North oh, West okay. London. Yeah. It was a very, very, very dodgy area at the time, with mm. drive-by shootings and muggings oh, and things. Was, My mum was yeah, just was. aghast at the fact I'd moved there, and said, so you need to come back to the family home. And I'm like, absolutely no way. Oh. And uh, yeah, and I did, then I got a job um, working in Chelsea for the Bluebird uh, supermarket. And I ran the fruit and veg department there in the late 90s. And it was like the gayest place to work ever. And that's what being in that environment just eventually led to my actual coming out later that year. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Mid-97, yeah. So it was Bluebird. Yes. King's Road. Yes. That led to... (laughs) Well, yeah, if it's going to happen anywhere. That's brilliant. It was like just 90% of the staff were gay. It was as a 22-year-old 
young gay man. It was an amazing place to work. Yeah. It's such a laugh. And it, it all changed and it all went downhill. They had the company itself, but it was, uh, it was fun at the time. The summer of 97. 97, <laughs> okay, it's good to mark it. So where, at what point did you start to think that maybe writing was a thing? I mean, was this something at school that you, were you, you know, were you good at English? Were you, did you, did my, you care uh, about English? My first foray into writing was a GCSE project when I was, uh, I was 14 or 15, I think it was like a mock GCSE thing, and we had to write a um, episode of a soap opera uh, of, of course, our choosing. Of course. And I set mine in um, a caravan park in Dorset, and it was all based on my family holidays in the 80s where we'd have a family caravan in Weymouth. They still, my dad still does. Um, and it was just full of bed hopping and sex scenes and <laughs> intrigue and all this kind of and uh, it was quite racy for a 14-year-old boy to be writing. But uh, my, my English teacher, Mr. Good, I remember his name as Mr. Good, mm-hmm. he thought it was really great. He really loved it. He said, oh, you should send this to the BBC. And I never knew if he was just joking or taking just the piss. being nice. Yeah, just being nice. So I didn't obviously do anything with it. And then I went, when I did my three and a half years backpacking around the world, I was uh, encouraged by a couple of friends that you have to keep a diary keep a diary of all your journals uh, all your crazy adventures which mm. I did and I've never been a diary writer or a journal keeper so I did it and then uh, I was just drunk with my friend Sandra one night reading through these journals and she just said you know what you should adapt this and turn this into into something mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. a story or a play and I am um, so yeah I turned it I turned it into a play um, and then I wrote a screenplay and then it all kind of got the bug from writing from that and it all kind of developed from there moved into theatre and now novel writing yeah yeah so did your did that play ever become a was it ever performed that first one? Yeah, I never talk about this play. Okay, it's one of those. Well, <laughs> it, yeah. No, 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 because it, uh, it got into the hands of a producer who I shall not name, who, okay. who wrecked the entire thing. She changed most of the script. She made it a really offensive portrayal of gay men and it was, it was supposed to be just a, it was my story it was about a young Essex gay boy who goes to Australia to discover his sexuality blah 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 and she wanted all the characters wearing fluffy mules and pink feather boas oh. and it was just it was just cliche after cliche and I stepped back from it and I was like I, I can't I don't want anything to do with this project so what, what I actually went on stage was not what I wrote so yeah so oh yeah, God, you have to tell that me was my first. Ex- yeah, that's a whole <laughs> other story, <laughs> which I will never digress with you lot. But anyway, I can't <laughs> wait to find out. <laughs> Wonder if I've seen it. Anyway, um, so so yes, my questions. I've got a whole slew. Sure. And um, and this is Dylan's lunch break because Dylan is a busy man as well as being novelist. Many playwright. fingers in many pies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's another thing to go back to. Um, so yes, um, when did you come out to your family? Or did, friend, did friends, I presume maybe friends came first? Yeah, I, I came out first. That It was the night of um, Pride in Clapham Common in mm. 97. It was the last time that I think Pride was held at Clapham Common and I think yeah, it was no, the last time that. it was free. Um, yeah. And I'd got, I was living in a flat share, a house share, sorry, in Rains Park near Wimbledon mm. with my best friend Michaela, who I, I knew from my backpacking days and we decided to move up to London together. 
and three other flatmates and one of the flatmates just passed his comment said don't you know what it's gay pride why don't we go to gay pride and I was like you know what yeah let's go because I, I hear it's a real laugh uh, and I, I've got no problem with the gays or that kind of yeah 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 that kind of biscuit so I went up with um, my friend Michaela and a, a couple of flatmates and it was just so eye-opening for me to be surrounded by so many gay men in the middle of the field and it was yeah the girls got bored really quickly and wanted to go home yeah. and I said I want to stay um, and they were like raising an eyebrow why I wanted to I stay. I just love the music. I just, I just said, there's Danny Minogue, my <laughs> on stage to all I want to do. So I, I want to see her. <laughs> um, and then I went back and Michaela was still up. And I just, I don't know, something came over me. I said, should we go to the pub before closing time? There's something I want to tell you. And I, that was the first time I told someone I was gay. I told her I was gay. She burst into tears. Oh, really? I was sobbing at the table. I thought I'd made an absolute terrible, terrible mistake and I was going to lose my best friend. But she turned around and said to me that the reason she was crying was because she was terrified that people would hate me for no reason right. without knowing right. who I was. That being gay was maybe a bit of a dangerous thing with yeah. people's attitudes and bigotry and things. And yeah. we then we walked the streets till four o'clock in the morning and I told her everything and she was so supportive I decided to go and tell my mum and dad the next day. Oh wow! Which was okay, a whole that wasn't, other story. That was from one to extreme to the other. Wow! Yeah, okay. I was just on a roll. Wow! The support I got from Michaela was so amazing. Was, I don't know. It's like you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get the tube. So I did the next day on the Sunday. Got the tube all the way over to Dagenham. It took me like two hours to get there from Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. Went in. My mum sat in her armchair reading the copy of the Sun, mm-hmm. and she did, right. <laughs> as all my family did. Uh, my dad was out at work and I sat on the sofa and she just says oh how was your Saturday and I just said I went to Gay Pride on Platform Common and she just was silent for a second and then she said well I, I, I don't understand isn't that where funny people go so her word for gay was funny so right. and I said yes uh, what do you think I'm trying to tell you she proceeded to A burst into tears start screaming the house down shouting at me saying no son of mine is funny no son oh, of mine is a poof dough it's disgusting she called me a rent boy transvestite with AIDS like all the kind of cliches you could possibly oh, right, imagine right, right. and um, then I, I, I actually I can't say what she said next it's a little bit too rude for a podcast but yeah it was free, a, a very yeah. impertinent question and right. I burst into tears, I stormed out of the house and went all the way, I cried all the way home, it was just horrific. So, just a bit of background story about my mum, I mean, I came from a family where they were all tabloid reading people that, and they were just kind of a bit brainwashed by oh, what yeah. they were reading the papers and stuff and, you know, their, their idea of gay was watching camp stereotypes like... Um, Lily Savage mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. Um, John Inman yeah and, and basically like, yeah sitcoms yeah sit- sitcom gays shall mm-hmm, we say mm-hmm. um, so she just couldn't she just couldn't couldn't understand it and you know and there was always the scaremongering headlines in the 80s in the in papers like The Sun with Section 28 and the AIDS crisis and that so the that's oh, yeah, kind no, of that's that kind of knowledge base that she had. So I couldn't really blame her. That was her worldview. That's what she had been taught through media, yeah. through TV and through new, the newspapers that they chose to read. And but it was horrific. And it took my mum a long, long time to finally get around to accepting me. And it was actually through my nan, 
um, that changed her mind. And coming out to wow. my nan was a whole another hilarious story. <laughs> so your nan Do you want me to tell to, it? <laughs> your, nan was, your nan was to to blame for it all being for fixing it, basically. So yeah, come on, I want to hear that. Yeah, yeah. okay. Well, well, my mum told me. I told my mum I was gay. She told my dad. My dad didn't really have an opinion on the matter. My dad's very quiet. He doesn't really say much. We never really talk personal stuff. It was his brother that is gay, so he was always used to gay in the family. Okay. Um, so he, did, he didn't really say anything. It was my mum. Meanwhile, there's my, my nan, Sheila. Uh, in the book, it's called Shirley, because I've used all different names, and I've decided to use all different sure. names in the book, not use anyone's real names. Um, yeah. So she was this chain-smoking, armchair-bound matriarch of the family. The best way to describe her is Violet Cray meets <laughs> the Catherine Tate nan. <laughs> she wore, when That's I first saw one. that Catherine Tate sketch, I thought, this is my nan. She literally, right, her friends right. would be coming round. And, oh, how are you, darling? Oh, how's your, how's your chill blades? Oh, blah, blah. And they would go, and she was like, fucking cow, how dare she turn out? It was like her. Always sat in her chair, smoking cheap cigarettes. You'd go in her living room, and you'd have to part through a pea soup of fog with cigarette smoke before it parted, and there she is on her throne. Brilliant. With a tall ashtray next to her, always tapping her fag into an ashtray. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is, uh, so I came out to my mum in 97. My mum told me that if I ever told my nan I was gay, my nan would die of a heart attack, and I would be responsible for her death. So yeah, I had that on my uh, my conscience for five years, and so cut to two thousand and two. Five years later, I'm with my first, no, my second boyfriend. Sorry, living in a flat in Limehouse in Docklands, mm-hmm. and it was a time when that website Friends Reunited was oh yeah really big. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I put up my join Friends Reunited. I just put on a little profile, just said living with my partner in Docklands. My auntie, my mum's younger sister, who was a real nosy Parker, had been on Friends Reunited, had seen my profile when I went to visit my mum and dad she offered to she was there she offered to give me a lift back home so in the car when we pulled up outside my flat she said I just want to ask you something and I said yeah 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 I said she said uh, I looked at your profile on Friends Reunited and uh, it says you're living with a partner but I know you live with a friend so your friend you live with is, it, is he a friend or is he a friend 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 and I said you know what I'm going to tell you now I'm gay I came out to my mum and dad five years ago my mum told me that my nan's going to die of heart attack if I ever tell her, if she ever finds out. And my auntie Cheryl just, uh, she says, oh, that's just effing ridiculous. She says, I think it's amazing. Can I tell the entire family for you? And I said, you know what, go ahead and do it. Mm, mm. So with glee, I'm sure, she went back and she phoned right. like, every member of my family, told them I was gay. I had so many phone calls that night from members of the family saying, that, uh, we don't care you're gay, we've always known. And it's like, you know, we just want you to be happy. It was all... Just, so my mum was the outlier. Oh, okay, okay. She was the one with the really That's bad reaction. Though. Meanwhile, word got back to my nan, who by then, it was his, yeah, it's this 2002, so she was in a, she's in her late 70s by okay. now. So I got summoned to see my nan, as you do. You get summoned to see to it's the like, throne. Yes, it's like going to see the queen. You have to get an invitation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I got summoned to see my nan. I'm bricking it and <laughs> thinking, what is this reaction going to be? I turn up at her house. I had a key to her front door. She wasn't very mobile. Mm. Went in, partied through the cigarette smoke in the lounge, found her on her throne. She just sits me down. She says, right, I believe we have something to talk about. And I went, yes. I said, well, I suppose you know now that, you know, I'm gay, blah, blah, blah. Her exact words were... I don't fucking care that you're gay. All I care about is how big's your boyfriend's cock. 
amazing. I was flabbergasted. Not what you expected. Not what I expected at all. Oh my! So I just spluttered out. Well, it's uh, it's uh, well, it's 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 quite a decent size, really. Uh, uh, I wasn't quite expecting uh, this kind of reaction. And then I told her what my mum had said, and she says, "Let me talk to your mum. She's absolutely ridiculous." And so she talked to my mum and told her to stop being so silly. I mean, this is like five years after I came out. This is a long time after, and my mum then accepted it and then she became really really supportive and sadly I lost my mum in 2009 she she died really unexpectedly when she was 60 but she you know she died fully accepting me being gay and just wanting me to be happy and find the right man and who I thought I was with at the time but it turned out not to be but um but yeah I got her yeah so yeah in the end it was a long journey but in the end it all came right and yeah, oh it was worth persevering. I, I, I love that story about your nan. It's brilliant. And oh, my nan, yeah. She died a year later after my mum. She never recovered after my mum's death. So I lost, you know, both matriarchs of the family within mm-hmm. 18 months of each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. No, it's always tough. I lost my mum this year, so. I'm sorry to Yeah, no, I know, how, I know how it goes and how you feel. Wow, and this is this is all kind of in your book as well, which yeah. is, is just a taste. The, of, the full details are in the, the book. full details. <laughs> no, what I love is that you're, uh, which can tell that you are where your brain is, and that you're a novelist because you're very descriptive and and and, and the, the, the details about the smoking stuff is just it's it's the, I, I, yeah brilliant. Well, the book the book Gading Dagnum actually it was my mum's death that actually started the journey to this book. When I was grieving for my mum, I took myself off to Madrid for a long weekend. Mm, I just needed mm. to get away from life. And I just sat in a cafe and I just started jotting down loads and loads of memories of everything from mm-hmm. my childhood. And suddenly realised there was a common theme with all these memories. And it was the theme of being gay and realising I was gay. And I said, like, oh, you know what, I've got a book here, I've got a memoir here. I can mm-hmm. weave all these memories together into a kind of memoir type narrative. And Absolutely. that will detail my journey from my first inexplicable feelings at four years old towards another boy through to present day. And so I started writing it from that from that place of grieving and yeah sorting your head out yeah and it was a very, it was a very cathartic exercise but it was really amazing for me at the same time mm. and to go over so many memories from the past and suddenly remember things and oh. I'm blessed with a very very detailed photographic memory I can remember things from when I was four or five years old I can remember thoughts I can remember everything and Should've can be an a actor. blessing can be a curse should have been an actor I did try to be an actor once, did a week's trial at a drama score, and I was told, don't give up your day job. (laughs) At least you gave it a try. I gave it a try. (laughs) Just for the line learning. Um, So I was going to say brief synopsis of the show, but of the book, book. first of all, um, which you've kind of done, but we'll come back to, because it's it's interspersing with your your life. Um, So I want to jump in and just say, because the first time I met you, uh, I uh, auditioned for you for your play, The Glass Protégé. Yes, you did. But I have discovered was known as another name previously. Yes, so... Um, and was known as... Go on, tell me. Secret Boulevard. Secret Boulevard. So when I first started uh, producing plays, writing and producing plays, obviously I didn't have much money, so pull it on uh, at the Courtyard Theatre in Hoxton. It did really, really well. Mm. It was amazing. And um, and then it kind of, it just the, it just fizzled away and then cut to a few, well, six years later. Mm. And I thought, you know, well, this play is right. I had more 
support behind me. Mm-hmm. Six years mm-hmm. later, my theatre ambitions had grown, my theatre resources had grown. I decided, you know what, I think we can bring this play back, give it a polish, give it a reboot. Mm. And I always wanted it to have a, a new name. And yeah, I came up with the name of Glass Protégé, which was uh, um, to do with the surname of the main character and the fact that he was, he was a protégé caught in the Hollywood machine sure. in the 1940s as a gay actor. And was and this inspired, because I know, and I, I read that you'd been in, you'd spent some time in LA? Yes, I lived in LA uh, briefly. Um, oh, wow, where are we now? This is like 2005, 2006, okay. so it looks like, yeah, nearly 14 years ago. Right. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I decided um, at one point in my life, um, I, um, I wanted to go to LA and try life in LA. Um, I had a screenplay being produced out there, which is oh, okay. still being produced. It was, uh, it's a very, very long, arduous journey. Very long, arduous journey. But it's still bubbing away over there. I decided, let's go and live in LA for a while. I was doing rewrites for the script for the producers there. I thought, well, you know what, I can meet a guy out here. Yeah. So I could have a lovely life. A nice life. Then I came home, one home screaming back to London a few months later right. after my experiences of trying to date Angelino gay men. (laughs) (laughs) It's all in the book. (laughs) Oh, okay, 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 okay. Some very bizarre experiences out there. But that that kind of informs the play a bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I always had the germ of the idea of gay actors in 1940s Hollywood, Mm. the Rock Hudsons and the Montgomery Cliffs, and what it must have been like for them. And uh, the Glass Potage was basically a story of two actors who fall in love behind the scenes of a major Hollywood motion picture in a time when the production code was in full force with its moral compass yes. and yes. what it was like for them and ultimately destroyed their careers and yep. their love for each other mm-hmm. what a sad time it was for, for gay actors oh, caught up in that machine did um, you spend a lot of time studying the whole cliff yeah I did lo- lo- loads and loads of research and it was fascinating the stuff that I uncovered mm-hmm. and that all informed the, the script of the play um, and it did really well. It was on at Park Theatre. Yeah, uh, Park Theatre for three those in, out of London and out of the UK is is a big producing house in North London, but it has a really strong reputation now. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a great it's a great place to for anything to kick yeah, off. You've I was, had two two yeah, shows there. Now, haven't yeah, you? I was very honoured that they uh, wanted my play there, and it did really well. I think it actually ended up being one of the top three earning plays in the, the smaller yeah. studio space there mm-hmm. um, and they invited me back the next year with my next play um, which was called Hello Norma Jean which is about an elderly yes. Essex grandmother based on my nan who I've just mentioned <laughs> who um, comes out one day runs away from her nursing home and says that she's Marilyn Monroe and she faked her death in 1962 has been hiding in Essex posing as a chain smoking Essex grandmother for the last 50 years um, and that play did amazingly well as well and this year it got voted by audience members as uh, one of the it was number three out of the top five shows ever at the Park Theatre in their first well, five oh, years yes. of producing no, I yeah, yeah, yeah. was like really unexpected it star uh, I had the star um, Vicky Michelle yes. um, starring in the lead role from Hello Hello yes um, and she phoned me up and she says, darling, darling, did, have you heard the news? We're, we were like voted number three. And I'm, where are we? I didn't know about this. And yeah, found Brilliant. out. And so, yeah, really, really flattered. It so it keeps that. living. And it's, yeah. It's still, so do you think you'll revive those, either of those in future? Or are you kind of moved on? And 
Well, yeah, I think there's always room for revivals. Uh, we we're going to we tried to make a TV version of it. We were shopping a TV pilot out. It didn't actually it didn't go anywhere, but it was a great experience. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm still really close friends with Vicky, and you know, together we all keep saying we need to do something again yeah. with this. She loved the project. She said it was her favourite role she'd ever done. Right. Yeah. Right. So it was yeah, it was amazing. So I don't know, maybe they'll come back for a revival further down the line. But at the moment, yeah, I'm focusing on writing books, which I'm absolutely loving doing. Yes. Um, which because we're jumping all over the place, but which brings me to your current novel. Yes, so after, yeah, so after I wrote my memoir, Gaiden Dagnum, I enjoyed the experience of writing a book so much. Um, I thought I really want to write my first fiction novel, um, which I, has been bubbling away for maybe the last three years. I was writing it in little dribs and drabs when I could ever find the time. And then this year I did a final push and I finished it. it published three weeks ago. And I'm really happy to say I've already got um, a TV producer that loves it and wants to adapt it into a miniseries for television so i feel very very yeah congratulations um fantastic it's a very it's not a comedy like the the spin i put on gady dagnan i I always find the the funny in any dark Mm -hmm. situation where this fiction novel the timeless father is um a story of a young gay father in 1937 in brighton who has his four-year-old daughter taken away from him simply because he's a homosexual man societal bigotry intervenes and rips apart father and daughter she gets taken away from him never to be seen again Mm. he can't cope without her and walks into the sea to drown himself but finds himself instead time traveling 83 years into the future to 2020 where he finds his daughter again who's now an 87 year old homeless woman on the streets of brighton who has no memory of her father no memory of ever being loved and how does he reconnect with his daughter when he can't possibly explain who he is. It's a very wow. tear-jerking, gay time travel drama, so, shall sounds, we say. Yeah, I mean, and it's getting, a, it's been getting a great, great response. I've seen reviews, so, yeah. good, really good reviews. So people I got, uh, yeah, I, um, I sent it to a couple of people who are fierce, avid book readers and are never going to like say, oh, it's amazing, it's mm-hmm. amazing, just because honest, they know me. Yeah, they give me a nice review and they were, blown away by it and I feel very very humbled Mm. by that reaction so yeah and the fact that I've got TV producer interested as well yeah it's like three weeks after yeah I feel like I'm on a roll yeah Yeah. Timeless Father Timeless Father available oh yes on Amazon on Amazon okay and the same with Gaiden Dagnum and Gaiden Dagnum as well they're both on there and your scripts are available as well I actually did uh, decided to um, publish the scripts for The Glass Potage and Helen Norma Jean as well which are also available on Amazon in book form as well just because it's good to make sure play form sell a few sell a few copies (laughs) (laughs) buy it buy it (laughs) Um, we're in the British Library by the way and Dylan is just people are walking by waving he's that was, that was my friend Simone, who actually works here. Okay. <laughs> Just, he's probably wondering why I'm sat, why here, sat here talking, talking to some random stranger in the middle of the British Library. <laughs> but it's cool in here. It's really, it's really cool. it's, when I say cool, it's just we can breathe. So yes, anyway, escape the heat from um, the streets. Just paint a picture of where we are. Um, wow, this is amazing that you've got so Giant Cherry Productions, which was the company that you set up to produce your shows does that still exist no no i decided to 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 disband the company and just focus on just myself as a a writer um a novelist and maybe i will you know reform it but i didn't want to keep the company going with all the associated 
complications oh, yeah. that go with that when I wasn't actually producing anything through it. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is a question I ask to everybody. When, well, now, who would you say is a big influence on your life? When I say influence, I, it can be somebody in your family, but if it's somebody in the public eye or somebody who's another author or a musician or someone who has nothing to do with any of that that inspires you now and maybe inspired you when you were younger as well. I think what I'm most inspired by at the moment is being a gay dad. Um, right. Um, and the little kind of family units that's been created. Um, so I'm one of two gay dads uh, to a little girl who lives in Brighton uh, with her two mums. And I just, what I'm inspired by, I think, is how much my life has changed from when I first that whole coming out thing in oh. 1997 to now I you know I've got an amazing partner of six years mm-hmm. I am part of this little LGBT 21st century family unit it's um, yeah I'd say life life the way it's changed inspires me so do you think Most. so having having a child specifically kind of changed the way your your soul works the way your heart works the, the way you approach the world Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You just you, you you've got others to think of, and you know I'm so devoted to her. I would do absolutely anything for her, and it's it's so cool to go down to Brighton and for her to scream "Daddy D" as soon as she sees me, and she calls me Daddy D. Mm. So yeah, it's yeah, it's it's an amazing amazing journey. So it's, it's incredible. There's been three. This is how the times I think are, and this is a real marker of time that you're the third gay parent who I've chatted to who not even necessarily people who I didn't know as well and yeah it's, I think it's, that's a sign in over in one year of a podcast three gay parents already so let's hope I think like going around. back to growing up growing up gay in the 1980s when you had section 28 and there was no such yes. thing as gay marriage or civil partnerships it's I still think how much has changed in the last 20 odd years and how fortunate that it has changed and there's so many rights that we have fought for and we keep fighting for and there was one actress friend of mine who um, said something along the lines of well we've, we've got everything we want there's nothing left to fight for and so well actually no because with the current way the world is going with the rise of the far right all over and the threat, I think the threat is ever looming of LGBT rights being rolled backwards, especially in America and places like yes. the moment. I think the fight never, never stops you. The fight no. is always there. And I don't think in our, loved, in our lifetimes, it will just be a given. I don't think, No, maybe, yeah, ex- absolutely. feel like that. We've achieved so much, we need to fight to keep that and not to absolutely let not. bigotry and hatred once again rule the day. We cannot spin backwards to darker times completely and that theme that, that theme is also present in the timeless father it's as much about okay. you know coming from the 1930s in the days of the rise of fascism to the 2020s where although so much has advanced for this man from the 1930s he can't believe the fact that gay men are walking hand in hand in the streets and mm-hmm. kissing in public and can mm-hmm. get married at the same time there's this underlying dark darkness Completely. coming that is rolling back to that exact era that he came from Completely. so yeah it's that a novel for our times yeah no absolutely um, mentioning holding hands with your partner this is another thing that kind of I've been talking a lot to and has been brought up in gay media recently is that 
a lot of, I think there was a BBC poll as well, of people, how you feel, would you hold your hand, would you hold your partner's hand, your husband's wife's hand in public, partner's hand, and the majority of people are saying no, and I have to say, personally, I'm married now, um, and depending where I was, it'd have, I'd have to think twice. I am 100% with you on that, I, it's all dependent on where you are. Um, I would, central London, without a doubt. Yeah. There's no problem. Soho, yeah. Soho, on holiday, places like Grand Canaria, for example. Yes, not a problem. San Um, Francisco. But, yeah, going on holiday to Vietnam, for example, which we did last year, Mm. we would not walk hand in hand in the streets. You've got to, I think, and I think it's sad still that we can't, you still have to think before you, you reach your hand of your partner yeah. yeah before you reach for your partner's hand in public you have to think is this the right environment for me to do this mm-hmm. and so that goes back to the fact that we still are fighting that we oh, can't absolutely. we still have to give it a second thought before we hold hands in public depending on where we are yeah well let's hope that might we maybe see that at least change um, and but people writing books and writing plays like you're doing is the way forward. But it truly is. It truly well, my is. Truly you know is. my my uh, my remit as a writer is to produce uh, LGBT works which feature LGBT characters, LGBT stories, but uh, LGBT characters in that they are uh, experiencing exactly the same journeys in life as anyone. Yeah. We all fall in love. We all have heartbreak. Yeah. We we all experience the ups and downs of life. It, does, it shouldn't matter that you're gay. So it's like, it's stories where the lead character happens to be gay. Mm-hmm. And and that's a byproduct of just, the, it's just, a, it's a story. Yeah, but I yeah, no, completely, completely. And um, just to pick up on what you were saying, it's interesting that your, uh, that your, your grief, losing your mum, led you to writing, just because there's been a kind of similarity and I've been talking to my guest at the moment. I'm writing a piece about my mother, uh, died, uh, passed from dementia. Yeah. And her decline, her decline in dementia led at the same time, whether it's by chance or not, to me playing matriarchal women, whether it's just in comedy, uh-huh. panto, or and I, it, it happened in plays. Suddenly these characters started happening. The timing couldn't have been more timely. Um, but it inspired me to sit down and go kind of write about that. So I've got two timelines and the fact that it was born out of me working out my own, you know, stuff with my mum. It's just interesting that this and other people have talked about this, that grief can be a thing. And it's just something that I've had people talk about a lot on the podcast and that people are afraid to talk about and say that it's okay. I think you should um, always write about what you know and what you experience. And I think that's where you. strong writing comes from. And us gay men, we do have this strange connection with matriarchal women, don't we? <laughs> it's true, isn't it? But it's yeah, very where, true. Where, where that kicked in, yeah. I don't know. Somewhere back in... You have an explanation for that, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's so true. Prehistoric time. <laughs> um, um, okay, so this is, yeah, this is the fun bit for you now. This is so. I just want you to tell me your first album, your first single, if you can remember. Oh, yeah, I can remember everything. And were they on vinyl, were they on CD? Were, tell me all. The first single... I ever bought was Ray Parker Jr. Ghostbusters theme tune 1984 (laughs) (laughs) the first album I ever bought was actually now that's what I'll call Music 5 what was on that (laughs) it had Sister Sledge Frankie on it okay Mai Tai Um, I can't remember what the song was called Your Love Is History that could be it yes yes Um, 
Peter Gabriel, yeah, and I bought it from uh, Romford Sunday Market, uh, 1985, and I think now it's on like number 100 and something, which goes to show how many years ago it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, so that was my first albums, vinyl-wise, like when I was like 10, 10, 11 years old. Then CDs came along, and then I think when you get to when I'm buying CDs, you can see the gayness coming out through me. So my Does first in. CD was Mariah Carey, Vision of Love, <laughs> yep, followed by Abba Gold. I was, I don't know if you, you know the film Muriel's Wedding, where yes. she, she's in her bedroom always listening to Abba songs. Yeah. That was me at 17 years old, listening to Abba Gold over and over in my bedroom. How my mum and dad had no idea I was gay <laughs> listening to, to Benny and Bjorn walking down the stairs. I have no idea. <laughs> And then it was all the clear. It was Celine Dion, Cher, oh, really the Power Ballad. The yeah, I ticked all those boxes. Kylie Strong. Madonna. Kylie, obviously. Kylie and Madonna yeah. from an early age. Yeah. Kylie was weirdly my only female crush I ever had. When she was sat in a bubble bath and I should be so lucky blowing bubbles at the screen. But then I look back now and think, yeah. well, that was just her <laughs> subliminal recruitment of me as a gay man because she's a big fat hag. All the gays love her, and the signs were there. <laughs> My last guest last week, Ian, said the same thing, and that he had pictures of Abba, Kylie, and French and Saunders. French and Saunders, yes. And that, yeah, who was fooled? Who was fooled? <laughs> Everybody, apparently. <laughs> Not really, but yeah, okay. And then finally, yeah. if there was anyone from, perhaps somebody who's not with us anymore, from, from ever, from history, as we're in the British Library, um, that you could sit down and have dinner with. Let's actually go for two. So you're having dinner with two, two people from history. From whenever you like to choose, whether it's recent history, modern history, or going back to whenever you'd like to sit down and have dinner with. Who would they be, and why? I would probably say, number one would be Marilyn Monroe just so I could dig and find out was she actually murdered yes if yes. we're talking about her, her ghost coming for dinner or something or yes. you know she's back from the dead because Marilyn Monroe obviously was the inspiration for my play Eleanor Jean. Yeah. so researching her I became fascinated with her um, and probably um, Oscar Wilde oh good choice yes to find out what what how hideous it must have been to kind of be a gay man back in that era and be so renowned and yet still live in this cloak and dagger lifestyle Absolutely. and getting prosecuted and things and maybe if I could have a third I would say Marlon Brando because he was just so as sexy as a young man I'd have him not as a young not Godfather days not Godfather days <laughs> streetcar named desire yes, days yes the just so I could just get him, get him drunk yeah. and seduce him absolutely <laughs> Was he? Is he? Was he ever? Apparently, 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 yeah. yeah. He was, yeah. And and then finally, can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media? First of all. So yeah, I'm on uh, Instagram um, at just Dylan Costello author. Um, Twitter at Costello author. That's C O S T E L L O. Slightly different, yeah. Uh, And. Yes, and my books are on Amazon. Um, the Timeless Father is my current fiction novel, currently being adapted into a TV miniseries, and Gade in Dagnum, my gay memoir, also on Amazon, as well as my plays, Hello Norma Jean and The Glass Potter Show. Get them, look out for them, go for it. And Dylan, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you for having me. 
ladies and gents, I'm sure you will agree, Dylan was an absolute gem and an absolute pleasure to talk to. Um, so thanks to Dylan, I will put all the links to uh, his social medias and uh, the details of the books again uh, on the bottom of the show page. Anyway, thanks, gang. Have a wonderful... Uh, as I say, I know I'm trying to be every couple of weeks, but, you know, at the moment, life's quite busy. But thanks again for joining me. Enjoy the rest of the sunshine if you can. Cheers. Bye-bye.